mic. Okay, great. Okay, yep. Hi, everyone. I'm Sarah, and this is Kai. And um, we are here to present the Energy Web Foundation and how it's using blockchain to disrupt the energy sector. So I'm not sure how much you all are familiar with electricity or the grid, but this is sort of a metaphor of how it currently works. You can imagine um, a conductor who is conducting a room of musicians and instructing them to play in, in a way that, that makes beautiful music. And the grid is very similar. Um, there's many people consuming, there's people producing electricity, and it needs to be constantly balanced, constantly monitored in order to achieve the optimal flow of electricity to everyone's devices. However, uh, there is starting to become a shift in the industry uh, because there's becoming more and more what we call distributed energy resources, which is people who maybe have renewable energy on their rooftops, maybe they have an electric vehicle, uh, maybe generation of electricity in the future won't be as centralized, maybe it will be decentralized. And if we have a decentralized electricity system, is it possible to still have a conductor? And can we trust this conductor to be conducting the system in a way that works for everyone? So we're proposing a system that's more decentralized, shown here by this uh, swarm of birds. And so we're thinking about how we can achieve this and how this works in nature and if we can replicate this um, in the energy sector. So to give you an example of uh, the value how we value different players in the energy sector now. You have generation, which is production of energy and like power plants, transmission along lines, power lines, and then distribution, and then at the end of the line is the customer who is paying their energy bill, usually a flat rate or a time of use rate um, every month. So previously, the value, the way that um, the energy sector makes money is by valuing these assets, the generation, transmission, and distribution. But in the future, we see the value in what we're calling the prosumer, which instead of just being a customer, might be someone who's also generating their electricity and who is feeding their resources into the grid. And this will become especially interesting as uh, renewable resources become more widely used because once you purchase solar panels or energy storage, your cost to produce energy becomes basically zero because there's no fuel required. Well, let's have a quick look uh, on the problems the current centralized system solves. These problems are around um, secure and trustable metering of energy consumption and production, of course. It's about data privacy, protecting the privacy of customers. Um, it's about transaction costs. It's about cybersecurity. Uh, we cannot afford that these systems are hacked in some way, because then our electricity just would shut off. And it's about regulatory compliance, because electricity is an important good for everyone. Um, up to now, uh, all these uh, problems were handled by large corporations, utilities, centralized um, grid operators. And um, with the advent of blockchain, we now have a technological means uh, in order to uh, yeah, decentralize, decentralize the net. Um, this is where the Energy Web Foundation jumps in. Let me please read to you the official mission 
the mission of the Energy Web Foundation is to foster value creation in the energy sector by promoting an open, decentralized software infrastructure built around blockchain technology. So I have deep roots in agile development, and uh, there we are used to um, meticulously keep the what, um, the why, and the how separate. So <clears throat> to interpret this, um, the what, the ultimate goal that shall uh, guide all our decisions is to foster value creation. It reads foster value creation, not to create value. We are a non-profit organization. We do not build products in order to ship them. Um, we, we may do that, and we have some examples uh, later on, but if we create specific products, uh, we do it only to um, well, showcase the uh, capability of the underlying base technology. We then publish these developments under free and open source licenses in order to motivate developers to review them, to get inspired by them, to test them, to crash them, to steal ideas from them, to make proposals how to better them, to dismantle and reassemble them, to be successful in doing that or not, to publish the results or not, in short, foster, fostering value creation when it comes to cutting-edge technology does not mean to develop products, but to initiate collaboration among tech-loving early adapters. And this, of course, starts by giving them the freedom to do so. While the why is a little bit hidden, it says open and decentralized, but it means much more to us. Um, we are talking about what we must strive for in order to save our planet. Truly liberal energy markets that help renewables to break through. So the why here, to put it into a rather naive example, refers to the idea that when we enable people to buy electricity from the neighbor's rooftop, they will buy less from fossil generation. And the how is clear and does not need a real explanation because it has been all over scientific literature and the mainstream media lately. Of course, it is um, about blockchain technology. Public ledgers bear the promise to solve all fundamental problems. In order to illustrate uh, the strategy, the approach uh, we use a little bit, uh, I like to refer to the tree metaphor. So a tree consists of the wooden part and the green part. The wooden part is what has to be solid in order to yeah, carry the ecosystem that then arises in the treetop. So the wooden part um, is what the Energy Web Foundation does. First of all, we enable all kinds of devices, that basically means uh, power production, to talk to a blockchain. Then we build the base blockchain technology. We therefore um, build upon the Ethereum stack. The Ethereum blockchain stack is uh, proven, it is resilient, and we also include uh, respective scaling solutions. Um, Polkadot and Raiden are examples, I will talk about that later. And on the application layer, we collaborate with both large utilities and small startups in order to help them adopt the technology. So the logos you see here are actual affiliates of the Energy Web Foundations. They give money in order to make this open source development happen. Uh, when we talk about large utilities, for example, you might uh, remember Shell, you might recognize E.ON or TEPCO. Uh, all these are affiliates of the Energy Web Foundation. 
This strategy is based on the insight that there is added value for a large number of business solutions, but no single startup or utility can build the underlying core technology, at least not economically and in time. So the foundation bundles resources and releases the core technology, again, free for everyone, under open source licenses. To give one example of what we do, this uh, beautiful device here is an Arctic 7. This is a uh, small but powerful computer uh, built by uh, Samsung. And um, we have just released the first actual blockchain, blockchain client implementation for such a small device. So this is the first time in uh, technology history that one can run a fully-fledged blockchain client on such a small device. Why do we need it? We need it for notarizing energy flow because um, meters, sensors are attached to this device and then we can measure um, uh, energy production directly at the source and write the data into a blockchain in an immutable way. If you know that, I hope you know that uh, blockchains feature uh, the special, uh, the, the special um, um, feature that uh, data, once it is written into the blockchain, cannot be altered anymore. So in addition to the origin, uh, we have another project that we're working on called the D3A. And this, the D3A is a decentralized autonomous area agent. And it is a transactive energy market model uh, for the distributed grid. So here you can see um, basically how it works. So we would put an agent on every energy consuming or producing device, uh, which is what you can see here on the physical layer. And it could work at any level, like at a home or an, on a wind turbine or at the centralized generation level. And then these agents can transact and they can buy and sell energy to each other um, by these energy markets that are secured by smart contracts. And so this entire model is a framework that would be built on top of the Energy Web Foundation blockchain um, as a platform for peer-to-peer -peer trading and different market models uh, that then people could eventually build more apps on, whether it's like artificial intelligence or forecasting or algorithms to do any kind of specialized energy trading. They would function on top of this baseline hierarchical model that would be governed in a way that everyone would agree on. So in order to investigate this project, uh, we're building a simulation interface so that um, when it will be released as a developer beta version by the end of August, and it will be available uh, for free for people to use so they could set up their own grids and uh, do experiments to see exactly what kind of behavior they can expect and if this is something they would want to experiment with. So the D3A follows uh, these principles of decentralization, recursion, and private transparency. Um, so it's recursive in that it's hierarchical. You can have trading happening at a home level, and then different homes can trade with each other, different neighborhoods could, we, could trade with each other, and we imagine that this will scale up according to the current voltage level of the grid. And then in addition, we have other features like private transparency. And this is um, a word that we came up with to describe the fact that all of your information in your home should be available to the system so that things can be optimized, but at the same time, it needs to be private. Other people should not be able to trace uh, your energy use and your devices. So it needs to be like encrypted, basically. 
Uh, so to show you an example of how we envision this model, um, we would put, we have a couple different agents that we've defined and we would have one on like each of the devices in your home. So you could have say solar PV, energy storage, different loads, and then inside the home we would call that an area and that area would be a market. So inside this market, like a spot market, uh, these devices could be trading with each other. Their agents would represent them and would trade with each other uh, to optimize for the home. And then to show you how it would scale up, in a neighborhood level you could have multiple homes that are trading with each other, but then also to uh, neighborhood generation if you have a power plant or a community PV in your neighborhood. And then neighborhoods could trade with other neighborhoods, regions could trade with other regions. So we see this scaling up and including every level of the, uh, of the grid. Uh, so recently we released a proof of concept simulation that we're calling D3A Alpha. Um, this was our proof of concept and now we're currently working on our developer beta version. And what we were, what we did, uh, we introduced a, de a feature called device prioritization. So going along with, you know, why transactive energy, what's actually innovative about this? Well, when consumers become prosumers, um, instead of just responding to a set price, a set, pr a set price of electricity, maybe the price is varying and they could actually uh, have different, um, different maximum prices for their devices. So one device might be willing to shut off if the price becomes too high while another device stays online. And so this is, uh, really makes a difference uh, for like rural electrification projects. If maybe there's not enough electricity, then devices can be prioritized and this can prevent blackouts. Now back to Kai. Last but not least, and before we are happy to take questions, um, this talk is intended to shed some light on a topic that creates utter confusion all the time. It's about transaction speed. It's about the number of transactions a blockchain technology can perform. People look at official corporate announcements, for example of Visa, the credit card company, and read from there that Visa claims to be able to do 56,000 transactions per second. Then they look at other companies such as PayPal and read from corporate announcements again that PayPal claims that they can do 450 transactions per second. When it comes to blockchain technology, there are no corporate announcements, which is a shame because everybody knows that corporate announcements are always truthful and precise. So in, uh, in the blockchain world, you have to observe this on your own, with your own eyes, and this is of course possible, and then you observe that average transaction speeds, speeds in uh, the blockchain area vary from three transactions per second, the Bitcoin network, to maybe 20 transactions per second, the Ethereum network. And in our specific area, when it comes to energy trading, everybody knows that an ordinary fridge will fire up its compressor 20 or 30 times a day. You can hear that. So you don't need to ask how many fridges are in the world in order to see that this won't be sufficient for a transactive energy grid as we are envisioning it. This line of thought seems very natural and is utterly misleading. Who of you, who of you knows when uh, the Visa company was founded? Does anybody know that? 
It was in 1976, Sarah. And uh, PayPal was founded in 1998. So this is the first argument. Whenever you come to a uh, discussion about uh, blockchain transaction throughput, uh, it is simply unfair to compare a um, major uh, um, uh, corporate technology to something that is new. But it doesn't end here. Next slide, please. It is also not adequate to compare centralized systems, such as the payment systems we just saw, uh, to decentralized systems. First of all, uh, you have to know something about consensus algorithms. You might have read from the media that uh, the Bitcoin network uh, is very uh, energy consuming. So I, I think uh, the notion is that uh, Bitcoin nowadays uh, uh, needs as much energy as uh, Iceland. And uh, why is that the case? It is because uh, Bitcoin is uh, based on an algorithm called proof of work. This is a race by computer nodes called miners for a solution to a cryptographic challenge. It's simply brute forcing, trying out number after number after number if it solves the uh, cryptographic challenge. This of course needs much energy. And uh, in the new generation of uh, distributed ledgers, we replace this proof of work algorithm to, to something we call proof of authority. We get rid of the miners. There is no race anymore. Uh, we instead uh, install um, vetted so-called validator nodes. These are also no private computers. They are professional machines sitting in professional computer centers being connected by broadband connections. And um, by this alone, by reconfiguring Ethereum into proof of authority, we already measure 750 transactions per second. So we have already outperformed PayPal. But it doesn't even end there because a decentralized uh, blockchain uh, technology can be split into several change, chains that run in parallel. To give you a practical example, let's say that uh, we take one master chain for Germany and then one federal chain for each of the federal states and then again one, cha one chain for each of the approximately 20 cities in each of these federal states. Uh, so we run um, 16 times 20 plus one chains in parallel. This is 321, I think. And um, if we multiply this by our 750 transactions per second, we end up at 240,000 transactions per second. So we have outperformed Visa. And this is even not the end of the scaling capabilities of this technology because so-called state channels, payment channels, are closed. A payment channel is something like a prepaid card. So you open up such a channel, this is one transaction on the chain, then you load this channel with, let's say, 50 euros. This is for the energy consumption of your house for one month, or one day in our example. And then the, the prepaid amount is deducted as you consume energy, and if the prepaid amount is, um, is totally consumed, the channel is closed, another transaction. So we have two transactions in our example. Uh, for one household, one day, one payment channel, um, this uh, adds up to 64 million transactions per second. You see how ridiculous this um, uh, throwing around with numbers is in the end. And this would be sufficient for even uh, the energy trading in the biggest cities of the world. Yep, so this brings us 
about close to the end of our presentation. Uh, we have some stuff here on how to get involved if you found this was interesting or if you want to learn more about it or talk to us about it. Uh, so as a blockchain or energy enthusiast, you can start building applications on our test network. It's free. Um, I don't know if you have anything to add. Uh, most of this you can find at our website, energyweb.org. If you're an energy startup or utility, you can join as an affiliate. And if you are an IT developer, electrical engineer, or scientist, uh, we are also hiring. So you can get in touch with us and see if we can work together. This is it. Yeah. We are happy to take questions. Thank you very much. Yeah, let me immediately pass the mic. Hi, um, I have two questions. One, what is the advantage of my fridge selling stuff to my um, heating, for example? Um, it's the same household, it's the same wallet, it's the same Raiden account, basically, that this goes out of or comes back in. So what, what is the advantage of these selling energy to each other? Um, sure. Didn't quite get that. Um, and what's the, um, the size of the market that you, I mean, I understand that energy will be more decentralized and people will have, uh, you know, be their own consumers, totally. But what is the, uh, the market size that this is basically, or what you project it to be in, in the future? How much of, of the energy will be locally uh, produced and locally not consumed but traded among, so that this does not in the end end up to be a serious on game? There must be something in it for every consumer. Right, right. Yeah, so at the home level, um, so we're assuming that there's these uh, trading strategies embedded in every device and so a lot of it will probably be pre-programmed on maybe some app or some uh, interface that you have. So yeah, they're, they're trading with each other but probably underneath some kind of optimization algorithm that you have for your home and the benefit of separating them is that then they can respond differently to different price signals, you can read how much they're consuming um, at different amounts and you could you know, control them like turn them on and off. So that's kind of our thought process there but um, we... Yeah, probably not. Probably not. Uh, and then your second question was... The, the oh, right. What's your projections about the, the profitability, the market size that you're freeing up yeah. for people that they're taking from the eons of this world? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, really, it really matters. You know, not everyone can have like solar on their roof, right? And not everyone can have like an energy storage device. Um, we have a thought leadership paper or concept that we released on our website about the D3A and it kind of talks about how the D3A model could be implemented at different uh, levels of the grid, like maybe one utility, uh, they're noticing that a lot of their customers have DERs and, you know, um, instead of acting as a DSO, they just want to provide this ability for their customers to trade with each other to sort of free up some uh, coordination issues that they have. So it could be implemented kind of in a, a lot of different places. Um, what we're building is more of a framework, so it's hard to say specifically how much, you know, uh, distributed generation that will be. I think this is very much like a case-by-case -case basis. So um, it'll be interesting to look at. But I think the, one of the reasons to really go into this more is by liberalizing these markets and allowing people to trade. You can really trace the actual value of these distributed energy resources to, to how much they're worth. And that, that can be a good or bad thing, right? Um, maybe sometimes there's a lot of um, 
laws in place or procedures that um, force utilities to buy solar back from prosumers. And you know, if everyone is producing solar at the same time and no one's home, everyone's at work during the day, then you know this becomes an issue. Uh, but if the costs actually reflect you know what is being produced, then it creates um, an economy for energy storage. So in the long run, as we move towards renewables, um, adequately pricing these uh, resources, I think, will help everyone to create like a more balanced grid with more opportunities for people to participate. Okay, there's time for one more question. Any question? Okay. One here. There's a question. Yes, uh, looking at the companies involved, I think that the, the framework you're building is a global framework, right? So it can be applied all places, it's supposed to be applied all places of the world? Yeah, that is true. Um, uh, the Energy Web Foundation was founded by uh, two other organizations. One is Grid Singularity, it's a blockchain tech building lab. And the other one is the Rocky Mountain Institute. Rocky Mountain Institute is one of the most reputable think tanks in renewable energy from the United States. And um, under the leadership of the uh, Rocky Mountain Institute, we have working groups. And in these working groups, uh, representatives of these large utilities come together and work on use cases. For example, we have, uh, you, we have a working group on demand response. This is about balancing an electricity grid. The other example is origin. Um, certificates of origin trading. This is, um, it's uh, pretty similar to CO2 certificates uh, trading. And um, another um, working group is, for example, on electric vehicles, uh, charging of, of uh, electric cars. Yeah, it's a global, uh, it's meant as a global initiative uh, and also gives us the freedom to choose the market where we start uh, to get real. Um, the net, we are still in the beta phase. There is no um, actual chain. Well, we, we have the test chain running. Uh, we could go online tomorrow, uh, but uh, the um, official starting date is set uh, one year from now, April next year. Okay. Isn't, um, you're not the only one in, in the market, though, right? There's there's uh, competition from other from like a larger group of other companies as well. Hopefully not, because uh, if you have a disruptive idea and are the only one in the market, you're most of the times just playing stupid. Okay, there's another question. I'm curious to hear how you deal with the infrastructure, all the the wires and all the power transformator. You know, the transformers. This is all owned by the power companies right now, and it's all centralized. All the infrastructure is now centrally owned. So if you're a prosumer, I mean. There's a lot of people that have been testing this, and it has worked on the small scale, but if you want to facilitate the transfer of power across larger grids, how right now there's only then a centralized power company, and they're not just going to let you transfer the power without getting a cut or something else. That's a very good question. Um, I think it's... Uh what we foresee is uh, a market development as always when um, disruption, when um, evolution, when innovation comes in. Uh, for example, the reason why we, why we do this reference implementation for a light client on a small device is not that we want to build this into a fridge. The Arctic 7 I showed is, I think, costs about $130. So nobody will build this into a fridge. But if you have a reference implementation, it's much easier for uh, more hardware 
um, uh, related developers to take it and to do a re-implementation uh, onto even smaller hardware. And this is the reason why we, why we do this reference projects. So we won't, the Energy Bay Foundation won't produce fridges or cars or, well, or solar panels, but the ecosystem uh, will. We just had a um, uh, blockchain and energy conference two weeks ago here in Berlin, the uh, Event Horizon, and we had about 50 startups pitching there. So this is the beginning of an ecosystem where newly found company, companies uh, start to develop products. Sarah, Kai, thank you very much. Give them a hand for this great talk, these inspiring views. Perfect.